0: What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Vanessa Spina on the line, and I'm just really excited about this podcast. The conversation was amazing, and she's incredibly knowledgeable about what she's talking about. We've both been keto adapted for over five years. We got into the space about the same time, so we really resonated on everything we talked about, really. I mean there was literally nothing that I disagreed with her on. So Sit back, relax, enjoy. We dive deep into metabolism, hormones, calories, macronutrient ratios, gluconeogenesis, basically everything and all things that are important. So hope you enjoy. Hope you learned something. Enjoy this podcast with Vanessa Spina. And Vanessa, we're live. How are you?
1: I am doing fabulous, Robert. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's really an honor to be here.
0: Well, I certainly appreciate having you taking the time to be on here. I mean, you're making all kinds of waves within the keto space, so it's always a pleasure for me to bring people on, share their story, and just kind of dive deeper into what compels you to be doing this in the first place.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for saying that. You have a great podcast. I really enjoy the content that you put out there, so I'm excited to be on here with you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, could you kind of give me just a little background on what what brought you here in the first place? Like, I, I've kind of scrolled back and stalked all your social platforms to see. You've been in the space for quite a while. You're putting out some great content. Like, what motivates you to do that? Like, what, what is your history, and what's bringing you here?
1: Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. I feel like I'm an OG in the keto space, and I don't say that to impress people, but just to kind of impress like, upon people how long um, I've been doing this because it's taken me so much um, of making mistakes and errors and doing everything wrong to be able to learn so much. But in terms of my motivation, I would say two major things motivated me to get into this. The first was total desperation. I had been suffering in pain and in my body having a lot of pain from, I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was coming from. And I had been overweight for most of my life and wanting to just shed this weight and I couldn't understand how to do it. I was doing everything that I was reading, everything that I was told, and it just didn't work. I really wanted to lose weight and do it in a sustainable way. the other thing that really motivated me is a lot of people in my family uh, losing their dignity and suffering and pain from conditions that i think potentially in certain cases could be helped with some of the information that we're learning some of the information the keto science that we're learning so these, these were kind of the biggest motivations that I had.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's gotta be tough. Like I've got family that would definitely benefit from getting on the keto diet, but it's like, no matter, and I don't know, maybe you've had better luck with your family than I've had with mine, but it's like, no. they. <laughs> you know. it's like no matter how much, you know, how much research you take in, how much information you put out. I mean, you and I are both seen as, you know, knowledgeable in this field, but it's like our our parents, our family, our relatives, they just, they just don't get it. Like in their eyes, we're always just going to be like their little kid or whatever. And there's no point in listening to us. (laughs) I don't know.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that you can relate to me on that because it, it is very frustrating and, you know, it's just, there are such massive death rates coming from, um, a lot of, of disease that could potentially be prevented from knowing some of the stuff, you know, that that is out there in in the keto space. And so that really motivates me is maybe I'm trying to help people in my family, but maybe if they won't listen, at least there's other people who are, you know, wanting and seeking this information and you know, my kind of legacy, I guess that I want to leave behind is being able to contribute in some way to democratizing access to health, to more people.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: what really like gets me out of bed every day and gets me excited to be able to do what I do. And I just love it. Like I, I can tell like you love it too, just from the passion that you have from, you know, doing podcasts and all that It takes a lot of, of energy and, and, uh, and time. And, um, you know, when you love what you do, it's, it's such a blessing.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I feel like, you know, you and I both had a profound impact on our life and our livelihood based off of how the keto diet impacted us. But then Mm -hmm. once, once you have that improvement in your own personal life, it's like, I don't know, it's impossible not to want to share it. At least it is for me and seemingly you as well. I mean, I feel like it's my moral responsibility almost to just put this information out there so that other people can benefit from it as well.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: So, so talk a little bit about you. You said that you were you were overweight, so you weren't really healthy. What do you think was the main contributor to that, just growing up eating the typical standard American foods and just not following a healthy lifestyle? And then how did you stumble upon keto?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting because I had a standard American diet approach, but I also spent most of my life when I was younger in China. And my parents were posted there abroad. We went back and forth between Canada and China, but um, I was a food addict from like a really, really young age. I used food to soothe myself. I didn't realize at the time how hyper-addictive processed foods are. And, you know, they really target the, the youngest end user. And I was hooked from a really young age. I used candy to soothe myself, to feel better. I was a huge candy monster. Um, I just loved food. It was my escape. It was my tool for coping with anything that was difficult and, you know, moving around a lot, um, dealing with a lot of change all the time. It really helped me, I guess, to deal with that. But I was really, really addicted to food and and food addiction is something that I talk about quite a bit. Um, But in China where we were, like, we ate a lot of Like the kind of standard american diet even though we were in china so everything was like a lot of foods that we ate were fried in batter a lot of fried foods a lot of carbs a lot of rice a lot of sugar a lot of like you know like the kind of typical food that you would get from a takeout chinese restaurant which Mm -hmm. um you know people know was like full of carbs full of msg full of sugar we just ate that kind of food all the time and, uh, it really had a huge impact on my body. Like I put on weight, I was always like 20 to 30 pounds heavier than all the other girls in my class. I was like the bigger girl. And, uh, I did actually manage to get down to, um, a really low weight when I was like in my later kind of teenage years. And I actually got into modeling for a while and, It was kind of a weird space to be in, but I wasn't able to really sustain it. What I was doing um, was not sustainable for me. I always felt deprived. I always felt like I was on this horrible diet and I was at the gym all day, every day, just like working so hard and I wasn't able to sustain it because it was not a sustainable lifestyle, like doing high carb and I was vegetarian. At the time and was vegetarian for most of my life i just wasn't able to to sustain it so uh, i was on this quest and like i always believed that one day i would i would find it somehow like if i just tried enough things if i just kept digging if i just kept trying different things one day i would find it and for me that holy grail was keto and i i found it um i was able to lose now 50 pounds Uh, from I went from 170 to my current weight, which is 120. And I'm a pretty tall girl. um, So I'm pretty lean. And it feels amazing. I feel great every day. I have so much energy. I have no pain in my body. I absolutely love being in my body. I love moving my body. And I never feel deprived. This is a long term lifestyle for me. And all the other benefits like mental clarity have helped me in going back to school. To study biochemistry and there are just so many other benefits that come with it. And I know that the disease prevention is a huge, huge factor. So like you, I'm just I'm just lit with, you know, such a passion to be able to share this stuff and share it as widely as possible because I want other people to experience this too and get out of that frustration, get out of that deprivation and just get with the health that they want so they can go on and, and live all their dreams.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. There's there's so much more to life than just constantly fixating on the food that you're eating, <laughs> and it, this I mean it, you can definitely optimize with this. There's like an eighty twenty you know principle with it, but for the most part, it's pretty pretty easy to incorporate, and it doesn't you know require a whole lot of uh, you know intensive manipulations and tweaks. Um, mm-hmm. So h- how long have you been following a keto lifestyle now in total?
1: So it's been about five years. I'm going on my sixth year now and I first actually found it um because I was reading this article um first found it did you ever hear of the five two like the fast it was like one of the first kind of things that came out about intermittent fasting um and I started reading uh Ori Hoffelmaker's book the warrior diet Mm -hmm. yeah and at the same time, I was suffering so much pain in my body. I didn't understand what it was, but it was terrifying at the time. So um, every couple of days, I would get this pain in my abdomen where I would be doubled over in pain. I'd be clutching a wall. And uh, it was actually it turned out to be uh, gluten sensitivity. And I, my husband's cousin told me, about this thing called gluten. And she's like, yeah, you can test for it, you know, send away for this test and you can check if you're intolerant. And I got the test back and my gluten sensitivity was off the chart. So I was like, well, what have I got to lose? I'll just try it, you know, for two weeks, I'll cut out all the gluten in my diet. And within two weeks, all of my pain and flares went away. And I was in such awe that such a simple change could have such a profound impact on my health, that I was like, I need to keep digging. And so from there, you know, I was I had started doing sugar free and gluten free, and then I found keto, and that was in 2014, and really started applying it uh, quite seriously around then, and and started started my little Instagram account where I would just post like little recipes and things, and um, it's amazing how small it was then compared to now. I mean, like I remember hashtagging keto and there was like, I don't know, like 10,000 posts or something like that. It was just, it was so tiny and new at the time.
0: Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Cause we've both been doing keto for about the same time now. And is when, that when you started to? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's funny. Cause like, I, I was so passionate about it and I knew this is kind of the direction I wanted to take my life from like a career standpoint, but there was no roadmap mm-hmm. to it. Like I had no idea how to make a business out of a diet and you know, keto five, six years ago wasn't near as popular or well known as it is now. And like, there was hardly any research on it. Um, there was I mean, definitely no publications that were made to the public. There was some research documents for like other scientists, but from like a public you know intake standpoint, there was just nothing. Um, Maybe like one or two podcasts, on like the Tim Ferriss. I think Jimmy Moore had his book out at that point, but mm-hmm. it was very, very vague compared to what it is now. So like starting a business back then, I mean, you had you you would spend. I mean, I, I would spend just hours working on some kind of business, and then I'm like, I don't even know if anybody's ever going to read this or see this or if <laughs> it's ever going to turn anything because there was just no hype around it.
1: Yeah, it was the same for me. I. I was working in finance at the time, I had my stock broker's license and I was working in finance in Vancouver and I started waking up every day at 4 a.m. and I would just open Instagram and I would just scroll through the keto hashtag and I was like obsessed. Like I was like, this is amazing, this is all I wanna do, this is all I wanna spend my time on and I would spend about three hours every day before work just scrolling and liking other people's posts in the keto space and you know which was micro little nano space at the time like you're saying and I would just hash you know post these little recipes for like keto chocolates or things and um, it was amazing you know that you could just tap in with a hashtag and find all these other people you know, who were interested in it too. And I just did that every day, every day, every day, every day. And it just kept growing and growing. And then pretty soon people were asking me for meal plans. And I was like, well, it wouldn't hurt to just like make a meal plan and do this. And I still kept, you know, working my regular job. And eventually it got to the point that it was so busy that I was like, I have to leave my job. Because I can't do both anymore. Um, And that was like, that was a pretty cool, you know, realization that I could now spend all my time just doing what I love, uh, which was this, you know?
0: It's kind of funny. We get more in common than I realized because I was, (laughs) my my major in college was finance. So I was going to be on the stock market. Um,
1: That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah.
0: So both of us totally switched course from that. But I feel like this is just so much more fulfilling and yeah. just, like, personable than anything we could ever be doing on Wall Street as far as, like, making an impact and leaving a positive legacy.
1: Yeah, when I was in finance, like, it was really fun. And, you know, finance is really sexy. Like, when I was in university, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I love finance. I I want to work in the markets. And uh, Vancouver is a huge hub for that. Uh, with the Vancouver Stock Exchange and just the markets there. So I had a lot of fun with it, but like you said, it never fulfilled my soul. Like at the end of the day, I would go home and be like, oh, maybe I made some money for some people. Maybe I made some money for some executives, you know, in their stock performance, but like it felt empty and I didn't really feel like I was making an impact that was meaningful it was just all about finance and money yeah and this felt so much bigger and so much more amazing to see people's health and i had always been interested in nutrition so the uh you know the elective courses that i took at university were both nutrition so i was always interested in it but i always thought of it as a as a hobby is something fun. And I never thought that I could make a career out of it. And when I was in high school, my favorite class was actually biology, but I just never thought that I, I was smart enough for that. I never thought that I could be a scientist and is somehow through this, I gained the confidence to pursue that. And that's, that's been a really cool thing too.
0: Yeah. So you're going to school now for biochem. What what do you plan on doing with that? Is it, I'm assuming there's going to be a pretty, close correlation between what you learn there and how you apply it to your business, your branding, and just the information you're putting out for others?
1: Yeah, so it's a two-year program where I'm learning to be, basically, it's a biomedical scientist at the University of Toronto, and I am kind of a year and a half in now, so I'll be done in February. Uh, Doing that in school has been pretty crazy, but I absolutely love it. I, biochemistry, physiology, and we are studying every aspect of biomedicine. Right now I'm doing inflammation and pharmacodynamics, pharmacokinetics, and it's all just so useful. So, you know, I just gave this presentation in Mallorca about autophagy and I just finished studying it in biochemistry. So it's I'm like, oh, there's all these different myths and things about autophagy that people don't get. And You know, I just finished studying it so I can take that and, you know, integrate it into my into, you know, my speaking and share what it's just fresh in my mind that I've just learned. Um, So it's super useful and I'm not planning on doing anything specifically with it. I'm just studying it so that I can better understand these concepts and I can communicate them better. I can communicate and be a louder and stronger voice in communicating the science of ketogenesis to more people so more people understand it and communicate it in better and better ways because as you know and you see this all the time there's these debates that go back and forth and i would see these online and i would watch them and be like oh gluconeogenesis you know people are debating on both sides and i don't know who's right so i was like i'm just going to go study it so i'm going to go study biochem so I finally understand it and I I can figure it out for myself instead of just watching these debates, you know, online and stuff.
0: That's a re- really wise move. There's, there are so many debates and I feel like a lot of times, <laughs> most times the people that are on either side of the fence with regard to these debates are like, they have no skin in the game. They don't have any experience with the matter. So they're basically just arguing for the sake of argument and <laughs> just taking that and like actually learning or, You know, doing some n equals one and self testing—that to me, I mean, I'm gonna have a lot more appreciation, put a lot more weight in anything you say or somebody that's actually gone through it says, versus people just arguing for the sake of arguing. Um, Right. So that said, what are some things that that you've learned over the past year and a half with your schooling that kind of applies to one of these debates, these arguments? Like, what is something that's really popular right now in the keto space that you now know enough of to kind of you know, via one way or the other on?
1: Well, what's really cool and exciting, I think, about keto, and I'm sure you'll agree, is that a lot of it is, like, cutting edge. It's leading edge stuff. So there are so many things that, you know, one of the reasons these debates are happening is because we don't always know conclusively Mm -hmm. certain things. And one of the things that has shocked me the most in studying biochem is, how often they'll say, well, we're still figuring this one out. Like, we don't actually know what these genes do. We don't actually know what this does. Um, And it's kind of crazy because you always think like, oh, they've got it all figured out. Like, no, we don't at all. But it makes it exciting. It makes it thrilling to be in the space. As you know, with keto, we're constantly learning new things. So a lot of the stuff that I'm getting to learn that's really interesting, I think one of them, the biggest one has probably been autophagy and understanding gene transcription and how, you know, we have these built-in recycling centers in our cells. So we have something called protein turnover, and that's something that I don't think we talk about enough in our space. So we talk a lot about how much protein we should eat. But we never really talk about the fact that there's somewhere between two hundred and fifty to 300 grams of protein that is being turned over in our cells on a daily basis. And we also don't really talk about how every two to three months, all the protein in our bodies is actually turned over. And I find this absolutely fascinating, but our bodies are like little protein printing machines. Our cells are printing proteins all the time. And we need to get some protein. We need to get especially essential amino acids, as you all know, from exogenous sources. But there's a lot of protein that is just being taken down to this little recycling center in our cells, broken back down into individual amino acids and reassembled to make new proteins. And so there's a lot of that that's happening all the time. And that's part of the the process of autophagy. And one of the big myths that myths that's out there is, people think autophagy is this on or off switch. Like, how long do I need to fast in order to get into autophagy? Well, that's not really the case. It's in my opinion, it's more of a spectrum. Of we have kind of a basal level of autophagy that's happening all the time, and then we have sort of um, really boosted autophagy that is really being revved up when we do sort of longer fasting, say like a 36 to 72 hour fast, you know, studies have shown that there's a 30% increase in in autophagy markers from that. But this basal autophagy is always kind of ongoing. And one of the theories that I have right now is that a lot of disease that's out there today, you know, we're dealing with sky high rates of, of disease. A lot of it may be actually just coming from the fact that we are suppressing this autophagy that is built into ourselves because we're taught that we have to eat six times a day. And so that keeps us perpetually in the fed state or the absorptive state. We never get into that fasted or post absorptive state. And it's like I think of it as, you know, what would happen in your house if you stopped taking the recycling out and instead you started storing it in your garage, you know, and after a few weeks, your garage would fill up with all these recycling containers and and then you wouldn't have any room for it in there. So you'd start storing it in your hallway, in your guest bedroom and pretty soon your house would just be full of all this trash, all this recycling. And autophagy is this process of taking the recycling out, of taking all those incorrectly folded proteins those you know wrongly printed proteins are we actually have a lot of errors in our proteins when they're printed all the dna mutagens that we get from our environment all these things our cells are built in have this built in mechanism to take care of that for us but if we're always in the fed state we're never taking the recycling out and so this is building up and building up and building up And it's just from doing these things like keto and integrating a fasting window, you know, a daily time restricted eating pattern and getting ourselves more often and more rapidly into that post absorptive or fasted state where we can take care of that and take care of all that cellular debris, get rid of it and take the recycling out so that we can really function optimally.
0: I completely agree i'm I'm really fascinated about this whenever I hear Peter Atia talk about it'cause he's he's mm. pretty you know pro fasting um but one thing he said is there's there's not really any way of knowing with any degree of certainty the best protocol, whether it be like a you know a longer fast every three months or a smaller fast every month. There're just so many different fasting strategies. Is there like just based off of what you've learned and kind of experimented with, do you lean more towards one? Uh, you know, strategy as far as like how you, how, how you time your fast, how long they go, how frequently you do them. Like, is there anything that you gravitate towards?
1: Yeah. So there's two things. Uh, one of the reasons for that, as you mentioned, is there are not a lot of human studies in autophagy. There's a few out there and they have shown that a 72 hour fast conclusively raises autophagy markers by about 30%. But that's not really taking into account someone who is in the keto space or someone who's maybe exercising a lot. I really believe that if someone is in keto and they're doing carb restriction, their glycogen levels are going to be lower. They're going to get into the fasted state more rapidly than someone who is say on a standard American diet. And so because we spend more time in the fasted state and people on keto tend to eat less frequently people are doing a lot of people are doing two meals a day maybe three as opposed to the six kind of minimum uh, approach so people are naturally spending more time in the fasted state overall and so i think that that would lead to maybe a 36 hour fast being a really good amount to start really revving autophagy but you can do anywhere from 36 to 76 i would say that being done at least once a month a 36 hour fast is not a huge fast a 72 hour one's a little bit longer if you don't want to do that once a month i like to do a seasonal fast so every time the seasons change about four times a year i do a usually 7 to 7 day fast some people will do a 5 day fast and that'll be enough, but I like to do a seven-day fast every season change, so a seasonal extended fast, and I just enjoy that. It's a really good reset for me, and, you know, I've been doing fasting for a really long time, so, you know, it's definitely like a muscle, you know, people shouldn't push themselves to, you know, do something that is, that takes time to develop over, over the years. Um, but I think a 36-hour fast at minimum once a month or every three months is is really, really gonna boost autophagy quite considerably. And if you wanna be on the safe side, you can do 72 hours, and you're, you're definitely gonna be boosting autophagy. But on a day-to-day basis, having a daily eating window, that's something I've had in my program from the beginning, is a 16-8. And I like to do, like a four or five hour eating window during the day. And I usually have two meals a day and I do that in a four to five hour window. And that really for me maximizes the amount of time that I spend in the fasted state. I don't eat ever between meals. I never snack. I always eat to nourished, you know, satisfaction at my meals. And then I don't even think about food when I'm not, it's not a meal time. Like it's just not even a thought, whereas before it was all I ever thought about. And snacking was like, I was like a grazer, you know, um, I was always grazing. I always had like some kind of latte or something in my hand and, and just doing that all day long. And just for someone who's new to this, just having an eating window of, you know, eight hours and a day you're spending 16 hours a day fasted. If you're not snacking between meals, that's over 140 hours that you're spending every week not eating in a, you know, somewhat of a fasted state. So that's already a lot, you know, especially if you're coming from a six time a day eating pattern.
0: Yeah. I think doing the the quarterly or like that, you know, every month doing like a 36 hour would be optimal and totally doable, especially if someone's keto adapted and yes. their body's used to running on fat. But I mean, it's, it blows my mind how much you increase your productivity with all else equal, just simply by reducing your meal frequency. Like when I was eating six, seven Mm -hmm. meals a day versus now eating one or two, I mean, I get so much more done in a day. Like I can't imagine being half as productive as I am now. If I was eating the standard, you know, every six times a day, I'd go crazy.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's such a shift. It's just such a paradigm shift and you go from, you know, eating to live from living to eat. That's where I used to be and this is where I am now and You know, with studying and work, I just have no time. Like, there are days when I literally just open a can of sardines and wild tuna and I put that in a jar and I, I mean, I put that in a bowl and I'll mix it up with some mustard. It takes me like one minute to prepare and Mm. I eat that and then I go back to studying or working because that's all I need. Like, I just provide that nourishment and then I get back to work and like eating six times a day is just like, it's so insane. It's so crazy. And the fact that, you know, we were doing it all thinking that we're boosting our metabolism. And, you know, it's, it's just, you're constantly, constantly activating that fed state. And also, like you said, you know, it's time consuming, like, was time to be eating all the time and cleaning up after eating like it's, it's just it's total insanity
0: yeah totally agree um I, I want to touch on you talked about the, the protein printing I want to dive into that a little bit because I feel like you know if you look at the keto community as a whole I feel like there's these certain trends that really pick up momentum and people mm-hmm. read too much into it so for a while they're It was all about gluconeogenesis. People were scared of protein. They avoided it like the plague. And I feel like that was obviously not optimal. And the pendulum has swung the other direction. And now people are, you know, very pro-protein, which isn't a bad thing. But it's like they're consuming in, you know, probably way too much of an excess. I mean, your body can only absorb so much. There's no reason for a 120-pound female to eat 300 grams of protein a day. And try and, you know, perform at her optimal rate. So what do you think is you know the the best is it like it's again going to be very individualized for the individual based off of what their day-to-day activities are like but do you like a general rule of thumb taking in this uh, protein turnover into consideration which isn't really talked about what would be a, a good you know baseline kind of to start at and shoot from there
1: yeah i usually like to do about 0. 0.6 to 0. 0.8 grams of protein per someone's ideal body weight. That's something that I found has worked really well for people. But then my biggest thing with that is test, like test yourself. I love to be in ketosis. I've been in ketosis for the last five years. I absolutely love it. I never get kicked out. It's not hard to be in it once you really understand keto and you you know delve into it as much as we do. And if your goal is to be in ketogenesis and get the therapeutic benefits of ketones, which I think are absolutely amazing. I've been learning so much more about how ketones are actually signaling molecules. They have such a positive feedback in the loop in the body. And I think it's really, really a cool thing. If you want to be in ketogenesis to have, you know, beneficial therapeutic levels of ketones. And I think that it's just a really cool energy source for the brain the heart. I think it's a great energy source as well. So if you want to do that, you need to test and the best investment you can make in your health is getting a glucometer. I mean, you can get a glucometer at Walmart, the Abbott, you know, precision extras, what I've been using all these years. You can get that at Walmart for, I think, $18. And this is health tech. It's biotech to be able to learn about your body. If you want to connect with your body, you want to understand how it reacts to different foods that you eat. It is so beneficial to just make a small investment in your health that, you know, comparatively what you could spend on medical bills in the future is nothing. I mean, it's pennies, it's drop in the bucket. Uh, To be able to test your blood glucose and test your ketones. So you can start to learn for yourself, you know, what numbers do you get at different levels of protein? So you can start at a baseline, you can move it up, you can move it down. You can see, you know, when do you get therapeutic levels of ketones? When is your blood glucose say at, you know, usually 90 milligrams per deciliter or below people tend to start, you know, getting into nutritional ketosis and, and seeing ketones of above 0.5 and journal and see also when are you feeling awesome? When are you full of energy? When are you full of vitality? When do you have mental sharpness and clarity? What does that correlate to in terms of your blood glucose and ketones? So I really, really advocate for testing. It's just such a great way to learn about your body. And, you know, we are essentially the same. When I study biology and biochemistry, I mean, we're all humans. We all are very similar biologically, but some people have you know, bioindividuality and differences. And, you know, someone of the same weight, you know, you can take two women that are 130 pounds and one of them can have a 34% body fat and the other person can have a 20% body fat and a lot of lean mass. And one the first person doesn't have a lot of lean mass and has brittle bones. So, you know understanding that we have differences in body composition and that is going to play out in terms of how much protein our bodies can handle as well and it also depends on how much carb you're taking in so usually people who are doing keto and at are somewhere between 20 and 40 grams of carbs per day or if they're just doing low carb they typically need to go lower on the protein if you dial your carbs down to like nothing you can handle a lot more protein. So, you know, it's all about what your goals are and and what you're playing around with. But testing is such a vital, you know, tool to be able to understand what's going to work best for you and understanding your goals. Like if your goals are to get to the lowest body fat percentage that you want to be at, where you feel your best and have a lot of lean mass, increase your lean mass, you know, you're definitely want going to want to have optimal protein levels. That's not too little and not too much. And that's, you know, finding that sweet spot for yourself. That is kind of, it's kind of fun to do. You got to, you know, test different things and, and find out and see. And, you know, if you're someone like yourself who works out a lot and is really active, you're going to need more protein. And if you're really sedentary and you don't hit the gym at all, you're going to need less. So there's kind of a little bit of of tweaking that needs to happen and testing, I think, to find that that perfect level.
0: Completely agree. Out of curiosity, where do you fall on that spectrum as far as uh, you've been in ketosis for the past five years, you say, do you incorporate uh, a relatively high fat ratio relative to protein and carbs, or do you do kind of more like a one-to-one, and do you keep your total carbs pretty low relative to other macronutrients, or do you tend to have days where those are higher?
1: Yeah, so... I've said for a couple of years now that I'm keto carnivore, I'm pretty much carnivore now. As of like a month ago, I quit all caffeine. So I went off of coffee. And the last kind of thing that I had that was not really carnivore was dark chocolate. I did 100% dark chocolate. So I'm at zero carbs now. And I really, really enjoy it. And when I, if I'm having more carbohydrate, then I'll take the protein down a little bit, but because I'm at zero carb, I can actually handle a lot of protein and I still stay within, you know, I still get ketones and I still stay in ketosis with as, as high as, so I told you my body weight is 120 pounds. I can go up to 180 grams of protein and still be in ketosis. It's crazy, but it's what happens when you don't, do you don't have any carbs and I do some exercise uh, during the week about five to six days I do some calisthenics and yoga so I do body weight exercises at home and I right now I'm at pretty much zero carb except for trace carbs that come in like mm-hmm. some glycogen in the meat and you know trace carbs and in, in eggs and I'm I'm testing this out and I I love it. I think part of it is also because I'm so busy with school and work that it just makes it really, really simple and easy for me to do. And I don't have to, you know, think about anything else other than like just eat some meat when I'm hungry and then go back to, you know, studying and working. And it's amazing how much my body can handle in terms of protein a lot more than I ever thought. But on a typical day, I usually eat somewhere between that, like closer to 120 grams of protein. On the fat side, I really eat fat to stay tidy. So I cook my meats in fat. And I like to do some like fattier sauces and things. Like I love Hollandaise, Bernays. I love doing like a mustard mayo dip. And I do that just for flavor. Like I don't do it because I'm getting because it helps, you know, so much with getting into ketosis and ketogenesis like that is part of it, but it's mostly just because I enjoy having some of that added or like I'll do a ribeye steak with like a lot of butter on it. And I do it for flavor and because it helps as well with just like maintaining that state of ketogenesis. But I would say for the most part, it's just because it tastes really good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Do you have any idea what your average total caloric intake is on a day-to-day basis? Like if you just had to had to guess?
1: It's somewhere between 1,800, 1,600 and 1,800 uh, calories per day. And if I am working out a lot, then I will increase that, usually up to 2,000. Uh, but it's amazing how when you're really just eating real food and you're supporting yourself with really nutrient dense food. Like I do a lot of organ meats. I do a lot of chicken liver pate. That's another thing that I like to add fat to. Um, when you are eating that way, like you really, your body really just takes it in and it, it utilizes it. That's, that's one of the amazing things that I was learning too in, in biochemistry this year, how much Protein and fats are functional material for the body. So, you know, as you all know, protein is biological functional material. It's what our bodies make all of our body tissue out of. It's how we make all of our enzymes. It's how we make all of our hormones, like the hormone insulin. It's made of protein. You know, it's a peptide hormone. So we need protein so much every day. We do get a lot of it from protein turnover, but we do need to get those essential amino acids from exogenous sources. But we also have essential fats. And so fats are also metabolized in the body for energy, but they're also used to make a lot of biological functional material in the body too. So our cell membranes, a lot of hormones as well, cholesterol, a lot of the essential, you know, lipids in our bodies come from the fats that we eat. So What's really interesting to me is, you know, we look at calories all the time and we think of them as always like, you know, four calories per gram, carbohydrate, protein, nine calories per gram of fat, but it's actually not fully accurate because how those calories are measured is in something called a bomb calorie meter. And it actually burns those foods for fuel, but our body doesn't burn food for fuel. Our body oxidizes those different foods in different ways. And we also, we don't just burn energy. We also are utilizing it. We're breaking, we're more breaking things down and utilizing the individual components. And so there are certain things like cacao butter is actually closer to five grams, uh, five calories per gram. And, you know, because of the thermic effect of protein Most protein calories are actually closer to three, 3.4 calories per gram. And some carbs are higher than four calories per, per gram. And carbs, our bodies don't really utilize much as opposed to protein and fat. So you can actually eat much higher calories than you think when you are mostly eating protein and fat and your carbs are extremely controlled than people actually think because so much of that is actually being used to make your body tissue to make your cell membranes to make all of these you know functional different um molecules in the body
0: you can't tell because this is an audio podcast but i'm smiling right now because (laughs) (laughs) everything you just said like just really beats home the point that i've been preaching for years and i feel like I, I I've been frustrated to be honest with you because so many people know this. I think they intuit, they inherently know this, but then they like they they don't follow it for whatever reason. They try to move on to the next sexy thing that's hyped up right now within the keto space. But mm. you and I both have been keto for you know five plus years, strictly keto. Like we haven't felt the need to go on and off. I haven't felt the need to incorporate a bunch of carbs or any of that stuff. Um, so we're both doing like high to moderate protein high to moderate fat, very low total carb, and mm-hmm. completely adequate calories. Like our calories are not uh, deficient. I see way too many people, uh, female especially, but male and female, eating far too little and down-regulating their metabolism, their hormones take a hit, everything suffers. And then they're, they're playing around with these ratios that are just unnecessary, and they're trying to incorporate all these carbs, which are also unnecessary. So here you yeah. are, perfect example of somebody, a female that's been keto for an extended period of time, has only benefited from it, you're eat, eating adequate calories and you're having those calories come from quality protein and fat sources. There's no need for the carbs. Your hormones are fine. Your metabolism's fine. And you're basically just a shining example of why people need to listen to their body and stop going on to the next shiny new thing.
1: Yes. Thank you. And yeah, I think it's really cool that you mostly do just keto all the time, you know, because – I mean, not that I'm shading this at all, but I just see a lot of men who work out a lot that they do more of like a cyclical keto approach or they'll do like, you know, um, keto for six days a week. And then one day a week, I'm not keto. And and to each their own. I mean, everyone needs to find what works best for them. But I, I respect the fact that you're like just fully keto most of the time. Um, I think that's cool.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, like you said, to each their own. Like I'm not here to judge what anybody's eating habits are, but I've always been frustrated at the idea that a strict keto diet is, one, not sustainable, and two, mm-hmm. not optimal. I basically just want to paint myself in the, in the picture, in the light of, look, this is possible, and it's optimal for me. So if it's optimal for me, there's a good chance that it could be optimal for somebody else out there besides me because I'm probably not the only person in the world that this works well for. So – it's cool for me when I get to talk to people like you that have basically done the same thing I've done and yeah. just illustrate that it it works. I mean, the, it takes the guesswork out of things and I I feel like I want to get your opinion on this, but I feel like the longer you maintain a state of strict ketosis, the more I mean, your body's smart. Like the more it adapts, the more it engineers the more efficient and effective it becomes at leveraging ketones, fat, and just the the nutrients you're taking in to function even better at that. So, like, if you maintain strict ketosis, like right now the buzzword's metabolic flexibility. And Mm -hmm. that can be beneficial in some situations for sure. But I'm highly doubtful that we're going to have a zombie apocalypse in which we're forced to eat carbs. I mean, we have options. So I want to make my options the optimal options. And I feel like, for me, that is well-planned, well-executed, strict ketogenic dieting and have that come from really nutrient dense food sources. Like there's no need to look any other place than that.
1: Right. Right. I mean, sorry, I don't know what your, your question is. Do you mean like, are you referring to gluconeogenesis or, or metabolic flexibility?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love, I mean, I'd love to get your take on metabolic flexibility, especially from like a female's perspective. Like I think a lot of females now are, are looking to carbs to help, Um, You know, regulate hormonal patterns. But I feel like oftentimes that's an issue due to simply not taking in enough calories.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it usually is just not enough calories or not, you know, getting optimal protein in because I've done some research on this. Uh, Verta Health actually has a really great article on how our bodies become more sensitive. So, just in the same way that insulin becomes more sensitive as opposed to being more insulin resistant when people do keto actually they have a theory that our thyroid becomes more sensitive as opposed to more resistant when you do keto there is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate and our bodies can make glucose on demand whenever needed from its own endogenous supply whether that's lactate or pyruvate or from you know the carbon skeletons Uh, from when protein is deaminated. So our bodies can make glucose anytime we need it. But because, like you said, there's so much adaptation happening, I really believe that the brain and heart, uh, several scientists that I've spoken to that are really well-respected, Ben Bikman, for one, Dr. Ben Bikman, has said that he also believes that our brains actually prefer ketones to glucose. And Dr. Stephen Hussey, who does great work about the heart, he has shown, you know, similar theories that the heart prefers ketones. So to me, all of this is just going back to the way that our bodies were initially designed. I think that eating keto is the most aligned with what we historically have been designed to eat. It's really more animal protein, animal fats, and then eating carbs really was when you didn't get a kill, you didn't hunt, you weren't able to find protein and fat. You know, you would use that for kind of more survival sustenance. So, why wouldn't you want to give your body the optimal foods, which are protein and fat? And our bodies are made out of protein and fat. I mean, we have some glycolipids and we have a little bit of you know, glucose being utilized and made in the body. But for the most part, we're made out of protein and fat. So that's really what I believe we should be eating. And I know that, you know, there are many women in the space who say that they need carbs, you know, to optimize their hormones. I don't understand that because when you study hormones at a biochemical level, hormones come in two forms they're either peptide hormones which means they're made of protein individual amino acids or they're steroid-based hormones which you know means they're cholesterol based or they're made from fats so our, our hormones only need protein and fat in order to be synthesized in the body they don't need carbohydrates so i don't really understand where that comes from um because when you look at the science, it's not substantiated by anything. I mean, I'm sure people would debate it and say, you know, that you need a certain level of carbs to make sure the thyroid doesn't go too low, but I tend to believe what Virta Health's research and theories is, which is that our bodies just need, they become more sensitive, they become more efficient, like you were saying, to be able to, to maximize that. And hormones are molecules that signal information in the body, they communicate information in the body. So why would we need to have like these super high levels of these signaling molecules in the body? If our body is really well nourished, if it's really optimized, it's functioning well, in my opinion, your signaling response should be you know, even higher, you should be able to respond and and yourself should be able to understand and receive those signals even better, um, you know, when they're functioning so well. So I don't get where the carb argument comes from. Um, In my opinion, if you like carbs, and you want to eat carbs, just eat carbs, you know, and don't feel any shame about that. Like, I don't understand why people feel like they have to justify it or feel bad about it. Maybe it's because of, you know, people say like people in keto are militant or they're really strict or whatever it is. Like, don't worry about that. Like if you like carbs, if you like your sweet potatoes, if you like your salads, like I love a good salad. You know, I just don't really focus on that right now personally, but there's nothing wrong with eating carbs. They're just an energy fuel source. And especially if you're making sure to emphasize quality protein and fat. You know, if you enjoy some lower starch, healthy carbs, I really don't think that that's something that needs to be justified. Like just eat them if you enjoy them and, you know, don't care about the peanut gallery or what anyone else thinks of what you're doing with your diet. Like, you're like, I just love my salads. Like I love a good Cobb salad, like good for you. You know, there's nutrients in them. Um, but I don't understand where the justification and the link is always being made with like maybe you know with you need these carbs because our hormones are not made out
0: of carbs there's been like so many mic drop moments throughout this entire podcast (laughs) like I'm gonna literally cut up up bits bits and pieces of this entire audio and put it out there because like everybody needs to have this just hammered into them left and right because it's just Goal, awesome. like I, I literally agree with everything you said. You've just said it much more eloquently than I've been able to.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so
0: much. So I've got one more question for you, and we're kind of sure. running on time. I got one more question for you. You've been in the space for a while, you know, five plus years. I respect that time. I feel like you've got a good pulse on the the community, on the market, just on everything because you're you're vigilant. You you see what's going on. You you're receptive to what people are saying. Where do you think things are going? Like, if you know, you and I both got in when it was very, very dormant, for lack of a better word, like there there was just no hype. Now it's like the buzzwords. You know, fast forward another five years. Do you feel like we've reached the apex yet, or do you feel like there's still more to go? Like, what what are your what are your thoughts as far as the next few years of keto?
1: So I like to think of it as I see like this huge tidal wave tidal wave coming. And I still think we're in the really early stages because if you look at projections, say on like the keto food market, they are projecting, you know, a peak coming in the next 20 years in terms of keto food products. And that's because, you know, I think keto has still really been driven by early adopters. I think it's still being really driven by people who are into health, into biohacking, who are really interested in this stuff. If you, in the U.S., it's been amazing to see this much bigger adaptation. So for me, I'm over in Prague and then I go back to the U.S. a few times a year. And so it was really interesting seeing, like for example, KetoCon go from 400 people, then 800 people, and then last year to somewhere between two to three thousand people and the line going around the side of the building and camera crews and you walk into Whole Foods and there's just keto everywhere. Like it really has exploded, I think, in terms of the consciousness of it. You know, I remember sitting in an Uber and saying, like talking to people about keto and the Uber driver being like, What's what's a keto? you know, and and now it's like, Oh no, my sister's on keto. It's it's there's been a huge shift and adaptation into it, but I still think that most of the people who are doing it are kind of on the leading edge and are more into this kind of stuff. I think that in terms of the percentage of the whole population that's doing keto or low carb, I really see it as like low carb encompassing everything from all the way from, you know, like, somewhat of carb moderation, all the way to keto to carnivore. Like, that's a whole low carb umbrella or space. I still think there's a massive amount of growth to be had because there are so many people in the general population who have not even touched low carb. But, you know, we have such high levels of metabolic dysfunction, metabolic dysregulation, obesity, sarcopenia, diabetes, it's just exploding. And these are really the strategies that are going to help so many people either, you know, prevent disease or help them with their current situation. And we need it so badly. I mean, if you look at the numbers of, you know, the death rates that are coming from from all of this, it's so massive. It's just such huge numbers. Like the you know recent study that we saw that came out earlier in the year that only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy. Like that's 88% of the population that needs these interventions. So I think that I'm hopeful seeing all of the doctors that are coming into this space now. Like I know you're seeing that too. When we started, there were none.
0: Yeah
1: <laughs> Now there's all these MDs, physicians that are coming into the space because they're being inspired by their patients. they're being inspired by other doctors who were really brave and came into the space and spoke out, you know, about this earlier on. And I think that's just gonna continue to grow and that we're gonna, you know start more of these doctors are incorporating keto and low carb in their practice in, you know, advising their patients, I have doctors who reach out to me, you know, on a a consistent basis who want to use my meal plans or programs because they have patients that, you know, have heard of this or they've heard of the benefits. And so I just see a lot of potential and a lot of growth in terms of where it's going, I was joking the other day that the only thing after carnivore is maybe just being a breathitarian, <laughs> which is, you know, where you just breathe and that's it. Um, just water and air. But, you know, we need, we still need to eat it. You know, eating is human. It's, it's one of the pleasures in life. It's, you know, a part of socializing. It's a part of our culture. You know, we can't just live off of water and air that, that just doesn't sound like a very interesting existence. So, you know, I think I think keto is is really it's cool to see it, it go from what it was when we started where it was like this dangerous like quasi dangerous thing. Someone actually when I was in Mallorca, I was doing a live video during the the conference of someone who was presenting on keto and someone from Poland came in and said in my country, we are told that keto is very dangerous you know so you think of the whole world there's there's a lot of potential I think too in terms of the Latin American market and the the global market that is starting just starting to learn even in Czech in Prague there's no keto books in the stores there's you know there's nothing like that so I think it also has a lot of of global potential as well
0: yeah I completely agree I mean it's it's amazing how, how far the states are ahead of other countries with regard to just the information and the products that are out there for the taking. But, I mean, if you look at America, we're still pretty far behind in the grand scheme of things as far mm-hmm. as, like, the overall population and their knowledge of the, the, you know, keto diet. So it's exciting to be in this space at this time. You feel like you have an opportunity to make a positive impact and actually – Tangibly improve people's lives people you care about people you don't even know and it's cool to to be alongside people that are in it for the right reasons you know like you being in the space as long as you have me being in the space as long as I have and then others that we've met along the way that are in here for the right reasons like I'm happy and proud to be alongside people like you because Mm -hmm. we care and we're here for the betterment of you know (laughs) our fellow man human existence so keep doing what you're doing know that it's appreciated and again i just really take appreciate you taking the time to jump on this podcast with me because this this stuff right here like this this long form conversational content that gets put out i mean i get emails all day about how this one podcast i said something and it impacted somebody's life you know doing stuff like this like you and i as content creators this is making an impact and i appreciate you taking the time to do that because it it can change people's lives
1: Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm completely honored to be here. And I agree with you. You know, this long form medium is, it's amazing to see how many people appreciate a long in-depth conversation as opposed to just being subjected to little, you know, sound bites and things on the, you know, mainstream media. I mean, it's, Having great, long, in-depth conversations is really what people crave. They want to understand things and get into into topics in a deep way. And I really loved all your questions. They were so great.
0: Well, absolutely. Anytime. Uh, Vanessa, where can people go to find out more about you, follow along, and watch the journey?
1: Absolutely. So my most active place that I, I spend most of my time is on Instagram at Ketogenic Girl. I have a podcast which is called Fast Keto. I have a cookbook called Keto Essentials available on Amazon. And my program is the 20-Day Ketogenic Girl Challenge, and that's all at ketogenicgirl.com. So those are some of the places that you can find me.
0: Perfect. I will link out to all those. And if there's ever anything that I can do for you, uh, don't hesitate to reach out because I'm happy to help.
1: Thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate that.
0: Until next time, take care.